Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Paper Kings, Part 5. I'm looking for a king who will make me rich and famous. Recorded Sunday, July 3rd, 2022. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Dan with today's message. Last week we did some heavy lifting. And uh, as we dove into Mark chapter 10, and if last week was your first week with us, uh, welcome back. You might expect that Jesus would follow up that, that hard stuff with something light and easy, something even fun, maybe, maybe like how and why he chose to create butterflies, right? Like he'll just take a deep breath and let us enjoy uh, his creation a little bit. Maybe you've noticed, though, that the book of Mark seems to be more like heavy interval training. We work really hard for a couple of minutes, and then you get like 30 seconds to catch your breath, and then you get right back on and you do the next station. And our desire is that we plow straight through the book of Mark. We develop some spiritual muscle, understanding of how to live this life, and appreciation for who Jesus is and what he has to offer. And so let's start this morning with that quick 30-second break uh, between heavy lifting stations. Starting in verse 13, we read this. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive The kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. So that was nice, right? Like, I hope you enjoyed our 30 seconds together. Anytime we get to experience Jesus, it's kind of this cuddly, like, right? Like, let the kids come here. That's a a wonderful thing. But we have to take that next step. We have to go into the next uh, station of heavy lifting, And to prepare you, you may not like it. And there's parts of it that I don't like so much. And today's passage, it has the potential to make you either bitter or better. And what's what's defining between those two things is how you approach it. And whether you listen from a, a perspective of wanting to be better, of a perspective of wanting to live life in the way that he says is our, our best way to live. So if this is your second week, you might be thinking, well, last week, that bald guy told me how to go about marriage. And this week, that much younger bald guy, <laughs> hi, Scott. That much younger bald guy is going to tell me how to handle my money. And if you're tempted to say, stay in your lane, bro, in response to what we're about to read, just be reminded that when we invite Jesus into our lives, he gets an all-access pass. And just know that where he goes and what he teaches and how he leads you, it's for your own good. It's for our good together. In John 10, Jesus tells us that it's the thief, the enemy, who comes to steal and kill and destroy, but, but not him. He comes so that we can have life to its fullest. And so he tells us this for our own good, whether or not the medicine tastes good at the time. And what we're about to read has become known as this story, The Rich Young Ruler, and it's recorded in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All three of these 
writers tell us that he was rich. Matthew adds an element and tells us that he was, uh, that he was young. And Luke tells us that he was a ruler, a religious ruler of some sort. And so we end up with the rich young ruler. And we're going to start reading together in verse 17. As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Jesus looked at the man. uh, Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor. Then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And this amazed them. But Jesus said again, Dear children, it's very hard to enter the kingdom of God. In fact, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were astounded. Then who in the world could be saved? They asked. Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. And so here's this young guy who's just got it going on. No matter what community he lived in, he'd absolutely be a member of like the 35 under 35 list. If he were in leadership tomorrow, he'd be at the top of the class. And we've just seen that Jesus opened the floodgates for children. And if you remember a couple of weeks ago, Scott talked to us about the difference of how we view children now as opposed to how they did in that time and culture. And so if the floodgates are open for children, for sure they'd be open to a person like this, right? And he approaches Jesus with reverence and a desire to fill that God-sized hole in his heart. Everyone would look at him and say, he's the perfect prospect. Then they'd turn and say, Peter, hit the road. Like, we found a replacement that's better than you. Like, this guy just makes sense. He'd be on any board of directors. He'd be on any leadership team if we were making the decisions. And in fact, Jesus does offer that invitation to him. Come and follow me, but there's something you need to do first. You need to let go of the thing that's keeping you from really living. Several years ago, our family was on a Caribbean cruise. We were there, uh, the two of us and our two kids. It's a, it's a trip, not a vacation, right? A trip is when you're with your kids. Vacation, it's just mom and dad, right? And so we're on this trip, and, and sometimes when you're on a trip with your kids, you do things you don't want to do. And so we're in Jamaica, and we go to an excursion at a place called Blue Hole. Maybe you've been there. It's this beautiful, gorgeous place, absolutely ruined by activities I don't want to do. <laughs> Jumping off cliffs, rope swinging, and zip lining with no harness. And while those things scare me, what I hate is a place that follows all of that up by saying, and you can buy a photo package of today for some terrible number, right? And so 
I'm bound and determined to take my own pictures. We purchased a pouch for my cell phone. It's zippered, it's waterproof, it's perfect. And so everywhere we go, I'm pulling this thing out, I've got it in my hand, and, and I'm unzipping it, I'm taking a picture, I'm putting it back in. And I, you know, a couple times I was hoping the guides would take a picture, but they're like, dude, we're selling pictures. We don't want to take your picture. And so, so I'm trying to take all these pictures, and we've got some pretty bad pictures about that, not the ones you're about to see because I caved. Uh, but uh, when it came time to go down the harness, the one with, with no, or the, the zip line, the one with no harness, and I'm looking, and it's about a 40-foot drop to the water if you don't make it to a certain point. And I'm realizing I can't do this like this, right? And so I have to swallow my pride, and I take that phone, and I put it into, yes, my fanny pack, and I grab on for dear life and make it down. And the pictures you're seeing right now, well, the good news is I've only got a few payments left on them until I'm debt-free. <laughs> Last week, when Scott talked about marriage, he used this hand gesture to symbolize the intended relationship between husband and wife. And while I may not remember everything that he said, man, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to remember this idea of Ish and Isha coming together and living in matrimony, of being united and locked together. Today, what I hope that we'll walk away with is what Josh shared with us a little bit ago, that we'll, we'll take this hand gesture, that we'll learn what it looks like, be reminded what it looks like to live open-handed. The rich young ruler had climbed to the top of the ladder of success only to find that his ladder was leaning up against the wrong building. And it was too much at that time. The idea of climbing back down, starting over, it was just too much. And he chose to live with hands that were holding on to things. He held on to his power and his success and his status. And he even held on to his religion in this way of, I can control this. I can earn this. He had lived a transactional life in relationship to God, kind of like a vending machine. I do this, I get that. I follow these rules, I have that relationship. I put three quarters in, I get a bag of chips. And things are good. And his understanding was that God's material blessing equaled his approval of his life. Ultimately, he was looking for a God who would make him rich and famous. Or at least a God who would allow him to be rich and famous, and at the same time, a member of the kingdom of God. And so quickly this morning, there's three areas of challenge for us about living open-handed. And the first one is that we learn to live open-handed with our belongings. And quite simply, this man's stuff had become his shackles. They were the things that were imprisoning him. Instead of being a steward of what God had entrusted him with, what God had blessed him with, he became the owner. And when we do that, we fall into the same trap as he did. Money and possessions move from being a gift from God to actually being our God. Mark Moore said this. He said, if money is your master, God simply cannot be. And in his most lengthy teaching on money, here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved 
to money. So Jesus says to this guy, why do you call me good? Essentially, he's saying, why do you call me God? It's become obvious who this man's real God is. And please understand this. Nowhere here does it say that money or possessions are evil. If they're evil, why in the world would Jesus say, go give that to a poor person? Why would we give evil things to a poor person? Money and possessions are not evil. They may be at the root of evil, but they are not evil if we are stewards of them. Jesus had already met with several other people who had plenty, but this is the first time that he gives this specific instruction because it's what this young man needs to hear in his life, and it might be something different from, for us. It might be something completely different, but it also might be our money that we need to hear that about. I usually start digging into a passage a couple weeks before uh, I'm up here to teach, and I just start writing notes down on sticky notes and slapping them on a wall and hoping that by Sunday morning they all make sense. <laughs> and, and when I was just starting to read this, I, I received a phone call, and uh, uh, it was one of those uh, difficult phone calls because it was a great phone call. You see, we recently became empty nesters. Uh, it's something uh, uh, we've kind of thought we would do really well at, and I think we're going to do really well on. Uh, but, but this thing that I ordered, you know, because I was talking to a counselor who said, you've got to make sure that you pursue some hobbies and some date nights and things like this that sometimes people forget to do and they become empty nesters. And so I told the counselor, I said, oh, let me tell you, we have a motorcycle. And we decided that we should get another motorcycle. Like, this is a great idea. And we can ride around together, and this will be our hobby, and it's going to be wonderful and beautiful. And the one motorcycle we have is older than me, you know? And so this new one, it's just going to make sure that we can ride and, and be in, in uh, good shape when we're going around. Uh, I don't want you to worry about us. We're not, we're not like about to join a gang, you know? We decided against the all leathers, um, but we do think that we look pretty tough when we're riding around on our hogs, you know? And so, I don't know why you're laughing. I think it looks pretty awesome. Uh, <laughs> but all joking aside, when I got the call that that motorcycle that we had ordered a few months ago had come in, while I'm preparing to teach this, I had to self-evaluate and make sure that I had things in the right order and that I would be a steward and not an owner, that I would live like this rather than this. Maybe you've heard me paraphrase Tim Keller before. He says, when a good thing, a gift, becomes an ultimate thing, a little G God, it then becomes a destructive thing. And so with any of the money or possessions we've been entrusted with, do we live like this or do we live like this, open-handed? And so let me give you a question as a tool. If Jesus were me, if he were you, if he made my salary or your salary, if he lived in our neighborhoods, how would he spend your money? How would Jesus use the items, the stuff that you've been entrusted with? And maybe you're thinking, Dan's just trying to get us, get us to give money to the church, and that's part of it, but not because we're hurting. We're not in some kind of financial crisis. God has continued to take care of us as a church. But there's three good reasons why you ought to give. The first one is giving is worship, and it reveals who or what we worship. 
The second one is, my life is simply more fulfilling when I give generously. And third, simply put, we can do a whole lot more together than we can do separately. Like, think of a few things that are taking place. So we, we're starting a school in Kenya. Now, I could be super generous and give all of my money to that project, and they would just say, that's not even close. Like, we can't even move dirt yet, right? But when we do that together, we build a school. There's kingdom work taking place on a reservation in South Dakota because you all live generously. There's a crisis pregnancy center in our area that is pro-women and pro-baby. And they operate because we give sacrificially. Hope Harbor, Crossroads, and Project Hunger, these are places that help people in housing and food crisis. And they're better because of Third City Christian Church. We're sending hundreds of kids to camp together. And the first wave of those kids came back this week, and we're looking forward to hearing the stories from them and from our middle schoolers and our high schoolers. Like, what did God teach you when you were there? You see, when we practice generosity together, we literally change the world for people around us. So yes, give. I promise you won't regret it. Second, we need to learn to live open-handed with our agenda. Jesus told this young man, there's still one thing. But to us, when we read that, if you're like me, you said there's really three things there. He tells him to sell, and then to give, and then ultimately to come follow. The young man went away dejected in part because the busyness of his life kept him from following a real adventure. I love Bob Goff. He wrote a book called, he's written several books, but uh, Love Does. He says this about this interaction. He says, it usually isn't about money or possessions or even our hopes. It's about our pride. He asks if we'll give up that thing we're so proud of, that thing we believe causes us to matter in the eyes of the world, and give it up to follow him. He's asking us, will you take what you think defines you and leave it behind and let me define who you are instead? Again, Jesus says, why do you call me God when I'm obviously not? And the offer was on the table. Follow me. Be my disciple. Discover a life that truly matters. Our world lost a lady this week who truly understood what it looks like to live like this. Rhonda and her husband, Al Juvie, attended and met at Nebraska Christian College decades ago. And they were intent. Uh, Rhonda grew up not very far from here in Palmer. They were intent on following God wherever he sent them to serve. So after college, they moved to Japan, where they have faithfully served for decades. And when they would come back to Nebraska on furlough, there were two things that were true about them. The first one is they poured into people when they were here on vacation. <laughs> there were several times where Al would take me and we would go walk through Pioneers Park in Lincoln during a pretty dark time in my ministry life, and he would just encourage me and let him know that God was using me and, and the efforts of our ministry in powerful ways. The second thing that was true about them, anyone who knew them would tell you this, you could just always sense the itch to get back to their people in Japan. Because they understood what it was like to live like this with their agenda and to follow God's call on their lives. Young people, 
You're going to go to CIY in a couple of weeks. And I'm just begging you, would you listen when you're there? Would you listen? Because God might have a call on your life. And that call might be a vocational one. You might be the ones who someday will be in Japan. Or you may work at this church. Or you may work in a campus ministry that we support. Whatever it was be. But you also might just serve as a teacher. You might serve in, in the school that you're going to right now as a missionary to your friends and your classmates. And if you're not young like me, just ask this question. Am I actively following Jesus? Am I engaged in a lifestyle that exhibits worship, serve, and grow? And if the answer is yes, keep on keeping on. Keep doing what you're doing. You see, you can't listen to Jesus' teaching very long and not come face-to-face with this call to serve. To make yourself less, to make others more. And so here's a couple ideas for all of us. First of all, if you are not in a group, in a small group of some kind, join one. Not just because you're going to be surrounded by great community and that you're going to go deeper into the scriptures. Join because we are, our, our desire is that our small groups will find ways to serve together. That we'll find groups at all these different places that we support and places that we don't looking for opportunities to serve people. And the second one is jump on it. When you hear of an opportunity, and sometimes you'll hear it from here, sometimes you'll hear it through the grapevine, jump on opportunities to serve as individuals even. We have something coming up that is a wonderful thing that happens every year in our town. Project Hunger puts on a food sculpture. I am not artistic. I should not be part of the planning committee. But I could be part of the stacking committee. And you could be too. And so if you're interested in either of those things, just stop by one of the hubs or let us know online that you're interested and we'll help get you plugged into things where you can invest your agenda for things that are big and great. If your honest answer is no, you are not fully engaged in that kind of lifestyle, consider this. The most tragic moment in life is when you discover that the thing that you thought was ultimate isn't. The thing you think matters most doesn't. Third is the challenge to live open-handed with our righteousness. And this is really the, the big gist of this story. As we've already noted, this young man recognizes that something is missing from his life. In his own mind, he's doing his very best, but that God-sized hole remains. And so he asks, what else do I need to do? And Jesus says, well, don't commit adultery, check. Don't murder, check. No false witnesses, check. No fraud, check. Honor your mom and dad, check. I've done those since I was a child. And it would be tempting to look at that and say, that's kind of like when someone, it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. And when I read that, initially, I think it's kind of like when my relatives in the South, after I do something stupid, say, bless your heart, right? Uh, That's not what's going on here. Since he was a child, he has lived up to this law as he knew best. I kept those since childhood. And the truth is what Jesus saw was a guy who was doing the best he could with the knowledge that he had. And I don't think he's virtue signaling. I don't think he's comparing himself to other people. He's simply saying, I'm doing my best, but I know that something is missing. 
And those five commands that we talk about there, like we refer to those as the horizontal commands because they have everything to do with living our life with other people. But he's got to take into consideration the vertical commands. Honor the Lord your God. Have no other gods before him. Things like that that he was lacking in. David Guzik points out that what he should have said is, Jesus, there's no way I could keep that whole list. Nobody could. And I think Jesus would have looked at him and said, exactly. That's why I'm here. The rich young ruler is missing something, but it's not a religious act. It's actually a someone, and the someone is standing right in front of him. His problem is the same one that a lot of people in our culture struggle with, was that he couldn't move away from his rugged individualism. And I know that we take this weekend to celebrate that, and I am glad that we do. I am, I am thankful to live in a country and with a people who celebrate freedom and responsibility together. But when we take our rugged individualism and our pull-yourself-up-by-the-bootstraps mentality and we apply that to our souls, we're missing it because we can't. We can't be that good. We can't be that perfect. We need a king that's better than any king we could surround ourselves. We need a king who is willing to be our savior. The man is stuck in a transactional mindset that looks like this with clenched fists. And what Jesus wants him to see is that it, the answer is relational with open hands. And so he walks away sad, choosing to leave his biggest barrier in place. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And maybe that's a little bit like our phrase, when pigs fly, right? Simply, it's not going to happen. And of course, the disciples are like, Jesus, if, if not him, then who? And Jesus looks at them and says, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Understand this. Admittance into the kingdom of God is not about what you know or what you've done. It's about who you know and what he's done. It's about admitting that you don't have it all together. Uh, G.K. Chesterton uh, saw an advertisement in a newspaper 100 years ago just saying, answer this question by writing to us, and said, what's wrong with the world? And he picked up a a paper and a pen, and he wrote his response and sent it to the newspaper, and they opened it and read it and printed it, and it just said, Dear Sir, I am. Signed, G.K. Chesterton. You see, the truth is, getting a camel through the eye of a needle, that's nothing compared to getting Dan Walter into the kingdom of God. It's nothing. But Jesus makes the impossible completely possible. And we're going to take communion in just a moment, but I want you to hear this. When Jesus is asking us to live open-handed with our belongings, our agenda, and our righteousness, he's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done already. 2 Corinthians 8 says this, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, my sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty we could be made rich. He stepped down from a heavenly throne to a dusty, dirty world full of people who were broken and busted up and hurting. And he willingly lived open-handed 
even when it came time to be put on a cross so that you and I could be restored to right relationship with God. See, Jesus did not come, understand this, Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. People like you and me. So God, we thank you for this moment in our service where we take time to reflect, time to give thanks, time to celebrate the greatest independence that could ever be known. Independence because we don't see ourselves as rugged individualists. Independence because we're independent. We are not controlled by a sinful nature. We are not, we are not damned to hell because of what we've done. Instead, we are given a chance at new life, life that has lived with you. And we celebrate that together and we realign ourselves with you as our king. In Jesus' name, amen. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. And maybe you're able to sing that this morning because you tried everything else and it didn't fill that spot in your heart that needed something and you discovered that it was God. When I was young, I remember this commercial on TV for Smith Barney. And it was this super old guy in and, and an investment firm. And, and it ended by him just saying, it's Smith Barney. We made money. We make money the old-fashioned way. We earn it. It's a great motto for an investment firm. It can't be our motto as believers. We don't earn this, but we are the image bearers of Christ when we are the church. And we are called to do good works, not to earn anything, but because we bow our knee to a king who has given us everything. Let's live like this. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.